Well, Merry Christmas, church. So glad you're here. Listen, if you're a guest here today and we haven't met before, my name's Ethan, one of the pastors here, and boy, are we glad that you're here today as we tell some Christmas stories in our series, Once Upon a Christmas. I'm also glad you got to meet my friend Rhonda Paulson, who was up here a little while ago talking about Isaiah 117 house. Uh, she is awesome. We've been friends for a long time. Uh, I started maybe 20 years ago. Uh, my wife was the RD of Hart Hall at Milligan. She was the RD of Sutton, and we fought together to convince them to let us have cats, and we won by not telling them, but we won anyway, um, <laughs> together, uh, we won. And she's still fighting, obviously, now not for cats, so, but to make sure no kid is ever left alone. I love her ministry, and I love the fact that we're going to partner with them in a major way uh, through our Christmas offering this year, so I'm super excited about that. If you want to meet Rhonda, uh, you can do that today in between services. She's hanging out at a table down in the atrium, so I hope you'll head down there, uh, meet her, learn more about Isaiah 117 House. Also, down there in the atrium, you can learn about a missions class that we're hosting called Perspectives. It's this great class about how to understand what global mission looks like today and how we can be a bigger part in advancing God's kingdom all around the globe. It's called the Perspectives class. It's amazing stuff. If that's something you'd like to know more about, they got a table in the atrium too. So I hope you'll head down there and check that out. I hope also, of course, you've already begun praying for and thinking about who you're inviting to our Christmas Eve services. Just to make sure we're all clear, the past couple years, Christmas Eve has sort of overlapped with Sunday. That isn't true this year. So we'll have Sunday services, regular services next week on the 22nd, and then Christmas Eve services on the 23rd and 24th. Why two days? That's because we know some of you all have family plans on Christmas Eve proper, and we don't want anybody to miss it. We especially don't want your friends to miss it, the people you're going to invite. So be praying about that this afternoon. Make some invitations. It's going to be gorgeous, candlelight, the whole thing, silent night. It's going to be beautiful. You know some people uh, who want to come, but the main reason you want them to come is so that they will hear the story of Jesus, which is the story we're going to tell on Christmas Eve. So make sure you're here for that. Uh, this week, though, we keep telling some of the little stories, right? Some of the unexpected Christmas stories. Uh, the, whole, the whole idea behind this series, Once Upon a Christmas, is that if we would listen to the little stories, we might learn something about the big story. Uh, my friend Laura Buffington is a great preacher, minister, storyteller up in central Ohio. Uh, and uh, she heard about this series, and we got talking about telling stories because she's such a great storyteller. And she was saying to me that she says, telling a story is hard. But she thinks for many of us, actually listening well to a story is even harder because we're so quickly distracted or we get thinking about the story we want to tell that's like the story they're telling. Uh, she says that if you want to listen well, you have to learn how to listen with your imagination. You have to invest some energy into picturing the place where the story happens. Invest some energy in, in understanding the people that the story happens to, to, to feel what they feel and to hear what they hear. She, she has this one question. I love this. She says, you have to ask yourself, what would they eat for breakfast? I love that question. I mean, because most stories, of course, aren't about breakfast. The story might not even mention what they had for breakfast, but she, she just says that if you force yourself to picture what they ate for breakfast, and where they ate it, and who they ate it with, you'll force yourself to understand them a little bit better, right? You'll have to force yourself to know where do they live, and how much money do they have, and 
Who cooks their breakfast? And are they alone when they eat breakfast? Or are they with some people? Is it a happy thing? Or are they just kind of sliding by and grabbing a cup of coffee? Or do they even eat breakfast? Maybe they skip breakfast. They're in such a hurry. She even suggests, and this was really captured my imagination, is that this is a super useful question to bring to Scripture. That when you read a Bible story, you might just ask yourself, I wonder what they had for breakfast. Just for starters, asking this question makes you pay attention to the cultural context of the story. To just recognize, oh yeah, that happened 2,000 years ago. I bet they didn't have Cheerios for breakfast because Cheerios hadn't been invented yet. You know what I mean? So, so it just forces you just to figure out, get a historical perspective on the story. But it also forces you to remember that these are people. You know, people who had bad days and good days and people who loved and hated and people who got jobs and lost jobs and were hungry sometimes and were full other times, who rejoiced and who wept. It helps us focus on the people of the story to recognize that they had a real relationship with God that we can probably learn from. Uh, So today, we're going to tell one of the simplest Christmas stories. It's really one of the simplest stories in all Christmas. And I just want you to let your imaginations do the work and consider the humans in this story. Because if you will do that, you will find good company in this story. It's one of the quietest characters in the whole of Scripture. But in this story, you will find good company. This story is especially good company. For those of us who wait. My guess is most of us have a Christmas story that is about waiting. Maybe you do. I remember one year, one of the, one of the cruelest things my parents ever did to me, they thought they were being super efficient, but they purchased and wrapped and set out our Christmas presents in mid-November. For more than a month, they sat there in the living room and we would shake them and listen and smell them. And we weren't savages, we didn't unwrap them. But everything up to that, we did to try to determine what was in these packages. And in great cruelty, they made us wait and wait. Wait, it wasn't even Christmas morning. We had to go visit Grandma on Christmas morning. It was a Christmas afternoon. They'd been sitting out for six weeks. Maybe you've got a Christmas story of waiting like that. Or, or maybe yours isn't quite so silly. Um, we were praying, I was praying with some of the staff this week, and one of the women on staff shared that her only prayer request was that she's waiting for her adult children to get home for Christmas. One's from Hawaii and one from somewhere else, and she's just waiting for them to all be together. And that was her only prayer, was that everybody would get home safely, and so she could stop waiting and she would have them there with her. Maybe some of you have a Christmas story like that. Sometimes, of course, it ends up not being worth the wait. I think I've told you this story, but I've been permanently scarred by this, and my therapist says it's good for me to tell it again, so I'm going to tell it to you again. Um, I was 12 or 13 years old. We were all at, uh, at my grandpa Calvin and Gail's uh, house for Christmas, and um, all the family had made it except for my Aunt Penny. And Penny was the crazy aunt, and she was just wild, and everything turned to a chaotic party when Penny was in the room. And so we were waiting for Penny to get home. And on the 23rd, she called, and she said, I have to work tomorrow on the 24th, but if I get off early enough, 
I'm just going to jump in the car. She lived in Chicago, and I'll drive straight through. I'll be there by midnight, 1 a.m., but I'll be there Christmas morning. So I'll call tomorrow and give you an update. So all Christmas Eve day, we're over there, and the cousins and my brother and I, we're all playing together, but we're just waiting for the call from Penny. And sure enough, three in the afternoon, uh, somebody calls out, Penny's on the phone, Penny's on the phone. We all run to the living room, and even though this was the early 80s, my grandparents were super cool, and they already had a speakerphone. So they put her on speakerphone, and so everybody could hear, and we're all going crazy, and she starts singing. Again, this would be weird for somebody else, but not for Aunt Penny. That was a normal way for her to talk on the phone. And she starts singing. I'll be home for Christmas. And my cousins and I, we just go crazy. Penny's coming home. Penny's coming home. Penny's coming home. Oh, my goodness. It's the best Christmas ever. It's a Christmas miracle. And we're just going crazy. And, but we look around us, and all the adults are like, you know. And they, someone, somebody walks back to the kitchen to start cooking. And other people walk back to play Parcheesi. That's what we did before we had cell phones. We played Parcheesi. And they, everybody's going back to do whatever it is they're doing. And we're like, what's wrong with you people? Didn't you just hear what she said? And she keeps singing it over again. I'll be home for Christmas. We're like, this is the best news ever. Why are you people so calm? And then she gets, some of you know, you know, you know how this song ends, right? She gets to the end of the song. If only in your dreams and now we're going it's like what you did what that we waited all day for this phone call and sometimes that's what happens when we wait right it's not worth the wait of course some of you when you talk about waiting at christmas i mean it's not that at all i talked to somebody this week and they talked about waiting at christmas and what they said was i'm just waiting for it all to be over if I can just make it through Christmas. Uh, they lost a parent this year. The, the one who had been at the center of every Christmas celebration they've ever had their whole lives. They said, I'll sell, I know I'm going to celebrate Christmas again. I'll probably even celebrate Christmas next year. But this year, I'm just waiting for it to be over. And, you know, every year in our church, uh, we always have lots of people that are facing Christmas just like that. They're just hoping to get through it. Maybe they've got a plans, and they'll probably gather with family, and they'll figure out a way to sing a Christmas carol, and maybe they'll show up at the service, or maybe they won't because they're just waiting. Uh, I do want to say, if that's your story this Christmas, I want you to know we're with you as a church. Um, we probably don't talk enough, really, about the grief of Christmas that's so real for so many people. But one small may we, way we acknowledge that here, uh, we got a team of people out in the back who would love to just make an, if you're grieving this Christmas, we would love to just make an ornament for you, uh, just as a gift to you from the church, just our way of saying we're with you, we grieve with you, we've remembered you, we're praying for you this Christmas, we're kind of, we, we haven't forgotten and we're standing together through this. So if you'd let us do that for you after the service, just go out there, there's a team out there, we'll make an ornament for you, we'd love to do that with you, just to, so you know you, you haven't been forgotten and you're not alone in your grief this Christmas. Because that's probably the hardest waiting I know at Christmas is waiting for it to be over because the grief is so hard. But the worst kind of waiting I know is when we're waiting on God. And a lot of us are waiting on God. Maybe you're waiting on God to answer some prayer that just doesn't seem to be answered, or you're waiting for a season of struggle to end, or you're waiting for a period of suffering to be over. 
or you're waiting to understand why God let this happen when you would prayed that it wouldn't, or you're waiting for the fullness of God's promise of salvation and redemption and forgiveness and righteousness and freedom to be true in your life because it's not true now. And waiting on God can hurt so much. The Apostle Paul writes to the Roman church, he says, waiting for God hurts as bad as having a baby. Now, he'd never had a baby, but that's what he says. Romans 8, 23, we believers groan even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies that he promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved. Now, if you already have something, you don't have to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. Paul says, if you want to be a follower of Christ, you must Wait patiently. Apparently waiting is a, is a core part of what the life of faith looks like, which, the Bible, which is why the Bible is just full of instructions to God's people to wait. Psalm 37, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways when they carry out their wicked schemes. Psalm 27, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. James 5, dear brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Consider the farmers who patiently wait for the rains in the fall and in the spring. They eagerly look for the valuable harvest to ripen. You too must be patient. Take courage for the Lord is near. We could look at like 50 other places where God's word says, wait on the Lord. In fact, God's word even says that God is waiting on us. Some of you, I just want to tell you what your spiritual position is today. Some of you right now, God is waiting for you. God is waiting for you to repent. God is waiting for you to trust. God is waiting for you to turn to him. Listen to this says, Isaiah chapter 30, so the Lord must wait for you to come to him so he can show you his love and compassion. For the Lord is a faithful God. Blessed are those who wait for his help. Isaiah says there's a mutuality to waiting. God waits for us to come to God. And then when we have, we are blessed when we wait on God to help us. Second Peter says, you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord. A thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise. It feels like that, he says, but that's not really what's happening, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. God is waiting on some of us to come back to God, to turn back to God, to trust our lives to God. In fact, Again and again throughout Scripture, we see that waiting is an essential part of the life of faith. Uh, Jeremiah, in the midst, uh, he was a prophet in the Old Testament, and he had a life of great suffering. 
waiting on God to act. He actually wrote a whole book of sad poems. We call it Lamentations, but it's just the book of Jeremiah's sad poems. But in the middle of that book of sad poems, he describes his life of faith. And this is what he says, Lamentations chapter 3. The Lord is good to those who depend on him, to those who search for him. So it is good to wait quietly for salvation from the Lord. And it's good for people to submit at an early age to the yoke of his discipline. Uh, Leave that verse up there just for a second. Look at that verse with me. Uh, This is Jeremiah trying to describe what what it feels like to trust God, to put your faith in God. Here's what he says. It feels like you depend on God and you search for God and you wait for God's salvation and you submit to God's discipline. He says those are the rhythms of the life of faith, to depend on God, to search for God, to wait for God, and to submit to God, and none of that sounds easy to me. I'll just be clear, okay? None of that sounds super easy from my vantage point. To depend on God when I'd rather depend on myself. To search for God when everything else is kind of shouting at me. To wait for God when I want things now. To submit to God when I want to do things. I mean, that life of faith sounds hard. The psalmist in 130, this is how he describes the faithful life. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than the watchmen wait for the morning, more than the watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He will redeem Israel from all their sins. I love that repeated line, more than the watchmen wait for the morning, more than the watchmen wait for the morning. The last watch of the night before the dawn came was the darkest watch of the night. It was the coldest watch of the night, where visibility was the least as the moon set and the fog rolled in. And you wondered, is this the moment when my enemies attack? Did they get up just two hours early and are on the horizon about to attack and I just can't see them? Or will the light come? And I'll see the edge and know that we're safe. And waiting on God feels like that sometimes, doesn't it? Waiting on God feels like you are surrounded by an enemy that could win the battle at any moment. And you wonder when the morning will come. And the waiting can last. Sometimes we wait for God for a long time. And the waiting can hurt. Paul says it hurts as much to have a baby. And we wonder, will it be worth the wait? Or will it be like when Aunt Penny calls and she's not coming home for Christmas? Will it be worth the wait? And if you've ever waited on God and wondered if it was worth it, then I think you'll find good company in Anna's story. We meet Anna in the second chapter of Luke when Mary and Joseph take Jesus to the temple to be consecrated. She almost seems like an afterthought to Luke. There was also a prophet named Anna. It's right after Luke has told the story of Simeon's 
waiting. But Anna's simple story is worth telling too. Luke chapter 2, verse 36, there was a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She'd lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. First thing we got to do here is a little math. Luke wants you to do the math or he wouldn't have given you all the numbers. Uh, she got married, probably at the latest by 15 or 16. They got married young in that culture. She was married 70 years and then a widow till she was 84. Did you keep up with the math? That's around 60 years. With no family, no children, in the temple, alone. 60 years of waiting. And what would her Christmas story be? Well, there'd be no shepherds in it, and no angels singing, no wise men, no manger, no donkeys, no rum-pum-pumming. What would Anna's Christmas story be? And, and what did she have for breakfast that morning? I mean, if she was in the temple day and night, did she even have time to cook breakfast? Had she eaten breakfast in the last 60 years? Seven years of breakfast with her husband. 60 years. Did she ever eat breakfast? Maybe somebody in the temple gave her a little something because they knew she'd been there all night. My friend Laura tells Anna's story in a wonderful way. So uh, about a month ago, I asked her to video it so we could hear it. Anna can't remember the last time she had a better place to be. Night and day, the story goes, she waits in a temple of all the places. Silence is her bread. Prayer is her only water. She stays all these years in the measured and marked space, the only room they have decided where God might meet a woman, widow to a long ago lost man, daughter to a long ago lost father, member of a long ago lost tribe who still believes there might be something worth seeing. She keeps watch. She's looking for a new life that will match the old descriptions of what a life can be. It's something like a tree, they wrote. It's something like, exactly like, and yet nothing like a king. Others come and go, presuming there's nothing left to see. If there's something new, they say, it'll have to come to me. But she is still waiting, still watching, still listening, still hoping. She is still. And when this child, this brand new tree, this close-up redeemer who had been a far-off dream, when this child is close, she knows she was right to show up every day and wait. I have seen something worth it, she says. And with the beautiful 
brown child god eyes on her, she hears a voice say, in you, Anna, I have seen something worth it. When we wait, we are in the good company of Anna. When we wake up to a life that's different than the one we imagined, we are in the good company of Anna. And when God's eyes rest on us and we feel seen by Jesus, we know that we are worth every move God makes. We are in the good company of Anna when we show up and we wait. We're in the good company of Anna when we see the redemption of God and we know finally that the wait was worth it. We're in the company of Anna when we are seen by God and God declares that you were worth waiting for. And God does declare that about you. You are worth waiting for. You see, Anna figured out something really important about our faith. Uh, something I haven't learned as well as I wish I had. I want to learn it deep. I, I kind of have it learned in my head. I want to learn it deep in my soul. She learned that waiting is worship. Waiting on God is worship. It declares God's glory. It declares God's sufficiency. It declares God's compassion when we wait on God. She also learned not just that waiting is worship, but she learned that waiting is worth it. That waiting on God is worth it because only God can accomplish the thing we most want accomplished in our life. And what you need to know is that God is right now waiting on you to turn to wait on God so that God can show you compassion, so that God can declare you were worth the wait and what I have prepared for you is worth you waiting for. Now, let me give you one more story of waiting, okay? Uh, this is especially for those of you who are right now in a moment of waiting. Right now in the burden, groaning, Paul says, for the full rights of your adoption as children, for the full work of God's healing in your life. It's from Psalm 40. I just have time to read a, a few verses of it, but, but the gift I want to give you is you, if, if you're waiting this Christmas, if you just, I, I, just, I promise you, if you would just this afternoon find a Bible, uh, if you don't have one, steal one from the pews, and read Psalm 40 this afternoon, okay? And just maybe read it a bunch, just keep reading it, because it is a prayer for those who wait. I just want you to hear the beginning of it, and you'll want to read the rest. It's just so beautiful. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear in the Lord and put their trust in him. Blessed is the one 
who trusts in the Lord, who does not look to the proud or turn aside to gods that aren't even real. Listen, I, I'm not going to pretend with you that waiting is easy. And I tell you, boy, I sure wish that waiting wasn't such a common part of our faith life. I mean, I wish I could say that waiting on God will be a rare thing for you. That it doesn't happen very often. And I wish I could say it'll never hurt. Um, but what I can say is this. Waiting is worship. And waiting is worth it. And you, God declares, you are worth waiting for. And God and God's salvation is worth waiting for. And God has a promise for those who wait. Maybe we could pray this promise together. God, we just come to you in prayer trusting in your promise that even the young grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall, but that those who wait in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. God, make this promise come true in our life. Bring us into the company of Anna, God. Teach us how to wait and worship. Teach us how to wait because you have said we are worth it. And teach us how to wait because you, God, are worth waiting for. This is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.